0: Chapter 8, To the Uttermost, Hebrews 7.25, He always lives to make intercession for them. Intercession is like prayer. One of the more neglected doctrines in the church today is the heavenly intercession of Christ. When we talk about Christ's intercession, we are talking about what Jesus is doing now. There has been a remarkable recovery of the glory of what Christ did back then in his life, death, and resurrection to save me. But what about what he is doing now? For many of us, our functional Jesus isn't really doing anything now. Everything we need to be saved, we tend to think is already accomplished. But that is not how the New Testament presents the work of Christ. Wow, I never thought about that before that like Christ is still doing something on our behalf. We'll spend some time considering Christ's heavenly intercession, not only because it is neglected today, but also because it is part of Christ's work that is uniquely reflective of his heart. As a way of framing what intercession is and its present neglect, consider it in relation to the doctrine of justification Much has been written and preached and taught about this glorious doctrine. To be justified is to be declared righteous in the sight of God, fully legally exonerated in the divine court, based entirely on what another, Jesus, has done in our place. But our hearts are wired in such a way that we constantly drift from a moment-by-moment belief in this full exoneration. Exoneration is like a pardon, like you've been totally forgiven, totally justified, and like there's nothing held against you anymore. That heart resistance is complete acquittal before God based on what Christ has done, became codified in medieval and then Roman Catholic theology. I don't know what that means. The reformers such as Luther and Calvin recovered and lightly re-centralized the doctrine of justification. And every generation since then has had to rediscover this doctrine afresh for themselves. It is the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God not once we begin to get our act together, but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will, as saying, we are found righteous before God, not when we are have all of our shit together, but when we repent and acknowledge that we are fallen. But justification is largely a doctrine about what Christ has done in the past, rooted centrally in his death and resurrection. In Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified in the past, he died and rose again, and as we place our faith in him, we are justified, for he died the death we deserve to die. But well, what is he doing now? We don't have to speculate the Bible tells us. He is interceding for us. Justification is tied to what Christ did in the past. Intercession is what he is doing in the present. Think of it this way. Christ's heart is a steady reality flowing through time. It isn't as if his heart throbbed for his people when he was on earth, but has dissipated now that he is in heaven. It's not that his heart was flowing forth in a burst of mercy that took him all the way to the cross, but has now cooled down, settling back once more into kindly indifference. His heart is as drawn to his people now as ever it was in his incarnate state on earth, and the present manifestation of his heart for his people is his constant interceding on their behalf. What is intercession? In general terms, it means that a third party comes between two others and makes a case to one on behalf of the other. Think of a parent interceding to a teacher on behalf of a child or an agent interceding to a sports franchise on behalf of an athlete. What then does it mean for Christ to intercede? Who are the parties involved? God the Father, on the one hand, and we believers on the other. But why would Jesus need to intercede for us? After all, haven't we been completely justified already? What is there for Christ to plead on our behalf? Hasn't he already done all that is needed to fully acquit us, like pardon us? In other words, does the doctrine of Christ's heavenly intercession mean that something was left incomplete in his atoning work on the cross? If we speak of the finished work of Christ on the cross, does the doctrine of intercession suggest that the cross was actually left unfinished? The answer is that intercession applies what the atonement accomplished. Intercession applies what the atonement accomplished. Christ's present heavenly intercession on our behalf is a reflection of the fullness and victory and completedness Of his earthly work not a reflection of anything lacking in his earthly work the atonement accomplished our salvation intercession is the moment-by-moment application of that atoning work in the past jesus did what he now talks about in the present jesus talks about what he did then this is why the new testament weds justification and intercession such as in Romans 833 to 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Intercession is the constant hitting refresh of our justification in the court of heaven. Pressing in more deeply. Christ's intercession reflects how profoundly personal our rescue is. If we knew about Christ's death and resurrection, but not his intercession, we would be tempted to view our salvation in overly formulaic terms. It would feel more mechanical than is true to who Christ actually is. His interceding for us reflects his heart, the same heart that carried him through life and down into death, on behalf of his people, is the heart that now manifests itself in constant pleading with and reminding and prevailing upon his Father to always welcome us. This does not mean that the Father is reluctant to embrace us, or that the Son has a more loving disposition toward us than the Father. The atoning work of the Son was something the Father and the Son delightedly agreed to together in eternity past. The Son's intercession does not reflect the coldness of the Father, but the sheer warmth of the Son. Christ does not intercede because the Father's heart is cold toward us, but because the heart's Son is so full toward us. But the Father's own deepest delight is to say yes to the Son's pleading on our behalf. Think of an older brother cheering on his younger brother in a track meet. Even if, in that final stretch, the younger brother is well out ahead and will certainly win the race, does the older brother sit back quiet, complacently satisfied? Not at all. He's yelling at the top of his lungs, exclamations of encouragement, affirmation, celebration, victory. He cannot be quieted. So with our own older brother. John Bunyan wrote a whole book on Christ's heavenly intercession called Christ a Complete Savior. At one point, he explains how the doctrine of intercession is a matter of Christ's heart. There is an objective side to our salvation, which Bunyan puts in terms of justification. God justifies us, not either by giving laws unto us or by becoming our example or by our following of him in any sense, but by his blood shed for us. He justifies by bestowing upon us, not by expecting from us. He justifies by a gift, not by expecting something from us. But added to the subjective side is the gospel of a subjective reality. And notice how Bunyan puts it. Quote, As you must know him and how men are justified by him, so you must know the readiness that is in him to receive and to do for those what they need that come unto God by him. Suppose his merits were completely efficacious. This is like Old English. Yet if it could be proved that there is a loathness in him, these merits should be bestowed upon the coming ones there would be there would but few adventure to wait upon him but now as he is full he is free nothing pleases him better than to give what he has away than to bestow it upon the poor and needy I don't understand that even if we believe fully in the doctrine of justification and knew all our sins were totally forgiven We would not come to Christ gladly if he were, like, a cold-hearted Savior. But his posture right now, as he is in heaven, his disposition, his deepest desire, is to pour his heart out on our behalf before the Father. The intercession of Christ is his heart connecting our heart to the Father's heart. That text on which Bunyan based Christ a complete Savior, Hebrews 7.25, is perhaps the key text in all the New Testament on the doctrine of Christ's intercession. After reflecting on Christ's abiding, permanent priesthood, the writer concludes, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The phrase, to the uttermost, is one Greek word, panteles. It's a word denoting comprehensiveness, completeness, exhaustive wholeness. The only other place it is used in the New Testament is Luke 13, where it describes a woman who cannot stand up straight all the way, but has been disabled for 18 years. What is the point of saying Christ saves To the uttermost. We who know our hearts understand we are to the uttermost sinners. We need a to the uttermost Savior. Christ doesn't merely help us, He saves us. This may seem obvious to those of us who have been walking with the Lord for some time. Of course, Jesus saves us. But consider how your heart works. Do you not find within yourself an unceasing, low-grade impulse to strengthen his saving work through your own works? We tend to operate as if Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus is able to save, for the most part, those who draw near to God through him. But the salvation Christ brings is panteles. It is comprehensive. In the flow of thought in Hebrews seven, there appears to be a special focus on the time aspect of this salvation. Because Jesus holds his priesthood permanently and continues forever in it, unlike previous priests who all died, Christ is able to save to the uttermost. Our presence in God's good favor and family will never sputter and die like an engine running out of gas. We all tend to have some small pocket of our life where we have difficulty believing the forgiveness of God reaches. We all tend to have some small pocket of our life where we have difficulty believing the forgiveness of God reaches. We say we are totally forgiven and we sincerely believe our sins are forgiven, pretty much. But there's that one deep, dark part of our lives even our present lives that seems so intractable, so ugly, so beyond recovery. But to the uttermost in Hebrews 7.25 means God's forgiving, redeeming, restoring touch reaches down into the darkest crevices of our souls, those places where we are most ashamed, most defeated. More than this, those crevices of sin, are themselves the places where Christ loves us the most. His heart willingly goes there. His heart is most strongly drawn there. He knows us to the uttermost, and he saves us to the uttermost because his heart is drawn out to us the uttermost. We cannot sin our way out of his tender care. But how do we know? The text tells us. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christ's heavenly intercession is the reason we know that he will save us to the uttermost. Here's what this means The divine Son never ceases to bring his atoning life, death, and resurrection before his Father in a moment by moment way. Christ Turns the Father's eyes to His own righteousness, to avert His gaze from our sins. So He reconciles the Father's heart to us, that by His intercession He prepares a way and access for us to the Father's throne. Do we realize what this means? Note the blessed realism of the Bible. This is the explicit acknowledgement that we Christians are ongoing sinners. Christ continues to intercede on our behalf in heaven because we continue to fail here on earth. He does not forgive us through his work on the cross and then hope we make it the rest of the way. Picture a glider pulled up into the sky by an airplane soon to be released to float down to earth. We are that glider. Christ is the plane. But he never disengages. He never lets go wishing us well, hoping we can glide the rest of the way into heaven. He carries us all the way. One way to think of Christ's intercession, then, is simply this. Jesus is praying for you right now. It is a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us, even when we are negligent in our prayer life. Our prayer life stinks most of the time. But what if you heard Jesus praying aloud for you in the next room? Few things would calm us more deeply. Just imagine that, hearing Jesus praying for you. The doctrine of the present heavenly intercession of Christ is neglected today. That is too bad because it is a consoling truth and flows right out of the heart of Christ. Whereas the doctrine of the atonement reassures us with what Christ has done in the past, the doctrine of his intercession reassures us with what he is doing in the present. If you are in Christ, you have an intercessor, an intercessor, a present-day mediator, one who is happily celebrating with his Father the abundant reason for both to embrace into their deepest heart. Richard Sibbes wrote what a comfort it is now in our daily approach to God to minister boldness to us in all our suits that we go to God in the name of one that he loves in whom his soul delights that we have a friend in court a friend in heaven for us that is at the right hand of God and interposes himself there for us in all our suits that make us acceptable, that perfumes our prayers and makes them acceptable. Be sure, therefore, in all our suits to God to take along our elder brother. God looks upon us, lovely in him, and delights in us as we are members of him. Our sinning goes to the uttermost, but his saving goes to the uttermost as well. And his saving always outpaces and overwhelms our sinning because he always lives to intercede for us. I hope you have a great day. I love you.